in a world driven by selfies and social media, where empathy and entrepreneurs are considered contradictory. One podcast has set out to put empathy back in the boardroom by hearing from the best entrepreneurs around the world. Empathize It will hear from the leaders of the digital economy and learn how the soft skills drive their business. This is the Empathize It podcast. Should, you should should be done now. All right, we're good to go. All right. Uh, so let me cough. Let let me cough for a second. <laughs> Aircon, dry air. <clears throat> All right. All right. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Almost good evening for you, Ed. I'm calling. I'm from Israel, and Ed is all the way in in Bangkok, and we're uh, yes, I am. We're yeah. catching up with to see based on what's everyone's working from home. We're trying to do is I'm trying to connect with people from my network and see how they're doing, but also applying what we're what's going on in the world, the world pandemic of uh, coronavirus, and see how different professionals in different areas of whether it's marketing, whether it's technology. And seeing how we, what they're doing, what solutions are coming up with, and I decided to to reach out to Ed, who's really been a colleague of mine for the last couple of years. He's working really on the top level, smart city, smart government, or we don't call it smart government, smart city, and we call it government and public sector for Huawei, a company that uh, I have the pleasure and honor to be part of their global global influencer, key opinion leader program. And I decided to reach out to Ed to see what they're doing especially in light of the fact that they recently had, uh, due to the coronavirus uh, canceling Mobile World Congress, and then also they recently right. launched their 2019 index and uh, report, I said, let's reach out to Ed and see what's going on. And here we are today. Thank you so much, Ed, for taking the time. Uh, and Pleasure, and, uh, and, and, and thanks for the introduction. <laughs> so, and Ed, great. Why don't we do, why don't we do, let's start and with by giving us a little bit of introduction about yourself, and then we'll take good. it from there. All right. Well, I'm Ed Diender. I'm the Vice President for Government and Public Sector in Huawei Enterprise, and I'm Chief Digital Transformation Officer uh, in our Enterprise Business Group. Um, I look after the department that I'm part of, looks after uh, solutions that we label smart, uh, smart education, smart healthcare, transportation. Uh, as you correctly said, we don't say smart government, but we do have an e-government platform that allows services to be digitalized and provisioned back in a more intuitive way to residents and people living in areas that can make use of it in a digital way rather than in a, in a physical and analog way. And also safe and smart city. Uh, I joined this department early 2016 with, uh, with uh, starting to promote safe cities, safe cities as a cornerstone to smart city foundation, uh, the smart city foundation. Um, I tend to use the, the, um, is it a payoff or a tagline? Well, I used to say first safe and smart. Uh, you know, if an area or a region is not safe, then why would it make sense to put taxpayers' monies in programs and initiatives for, I don't know, smart banking or smart parking or what have you? Uh, because who would do smart banking for smart parking in a certain area if that area is not safe or secure anyway? Um, but it doesn't go for every country. I realize that over time. Um, so it's one of the angles in a circular motion, so to speak. It's not the first one to do. It's just at that time is what I started to do, so promoting Safe City. Then we established a public safety expert team, so I was able to hand over all those activities to them to further uh, build up the pipeline and, uh, and establish the business practice going forward. And I moved via e-government to, uh, to smart cities, and now I'm on the path of uh, digital transformation. As a chief digital transformation officer, 
I support our customers and our partners. I help our customers and our partners with their digital journey. And that's what I do. Awesome. So let's say, you know, like we started with, and we caught up a little bit before, we mentioned that this whole change of what's going on around the world is really impacting every aspect of life, whether it's work, uh, whether it's personal. Why don't we talk about the first thing is digital transformation is obviously something that, you know, for between 2000 and 2010, it was clear that we were maybe 2010 to 2000, even to, to, to between 2000 and 2020, it was really like everyone said we have to do it and they were, everyone was talking about it and singing its praises. But now we've kind of gotten right. to the next decade. We've gotten to the next point where everyone's saying, is like, we know we have to do it. We've either embraced it or we're on the road to embracing it. What's the next step and how does that apply considering the new changes and new realities, what's going on? Well, you know, we're, we're kind of um, overhauled by reality almost, if you, if, if you think of it. I recently saw, um, and I think it was meant to be funny, but, but, but unfortunately in most jokes there is an element of truth. Uh, in, in, in some scenarios. And, and this one said, you know, uh, what, what enabled, what accelerated, that was the one, what accelerated digital transformation uh, in 2020 already? And I don't remember the number one. I don't remember the number two to choose from, but the number three was COVID-19, the coronavirus. And you could, it was like a poll, you know, you could vote for it. And this was like, it was up online for one hour or two hours. And then at the end of the poll, it was posted. And COVID-19 was, um, selected or, or, or the winner, so to speak, of, of it being the accelerator of digital transformation for, for everyone and everything. And as I said before, uh, it, it probably went out as, as a bit of a joke, um, uh, but it has an element of truth, of course. Uh, it's clear that because of the, the current pandemic, uh, everyone works from home. Uh, the idea to stay at home but not lose your social um, contact, so to speak. Uh, classes done remotely, uh, teleconsult, uh, uh, clinical collaboration over, over video conferencing networks and what have you, telemedicine solutions, uh, remote diagnostics are clearly examples of, 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 of a transformational process. It, it, it were solutions that have always been there. Uh, they've been implemented in a certain way. I guess people were looking at it for a while and saying, maybe it's good for us. It's a hospital, perhaps. And now just are, well, I don't want to say forced, but, but it, are kind of confronted with the fact that it actually makes very much sense to, if you don't have it, put it in place. And if you have it, utilize it and maximize it and maximize that utilization. I think that that is, um, that is unfortunately the... the um, the way it is today. So digital transformation as itself, where it is now, is seeming to be an online driven operation, an, a, a, an online process going forward, if you like, uh, or a principle. So where is next? Uh, next, I think, is a learning curve. Um, if we had solutions like this years ago, and we have been putting them in place in the past years, and now we're neat, and now we're, we're we're enforced to utilize them to the max. Uh, what do we learn from it? This is learning as you go along, right? Uh, uh, so how do we do it when we need to expand or upgrade or migrate? I think is where it goes next. Um, how do we apply something like a policy or a regulation where maybe privacy is highly needed, but access to systems and services for diagnosis, for example, is also highly needed? And where is that thin line now versus yesterday and the day before? And where is it going tomorrow? Because there is a thin line between the need 
to access information and, 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 and also the need for, for privacy rules and that kind of thing. So policies and regulations are, are transforming as well. And the way to apply them. So suppose a government says an area of a city goes in lockdown or the whole country goes in lockdown. I mean, China was in lockdown, 1.5 billion people. Uh, India is in lock, uh, lockdown now. One point, what is it? 1.2, 1.3 billion people. That is, the, 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 it's, it's beyond belief almost, the, the, the magnitude of all these numbers, but it is in lockdown. How do you apply policies like that if this is paperwork that needs to be signed off versus, well, the, it could be a digital policy that gets a digital signature, digital, digital approval, and then all systems and services follow up on the regulations for that. I think these are clear, clear items that we are confronted with right now and that will will help us uh, going forward yeah so that's you know that's definitely where i, I also am noticing it even here in israel we're also we're in, you know we're in lockdown in a different kind but very much very similar to what the rest of the world that you know people all of a sudden you know the office structure of what everyone comes into the office you talk you, you know you do your thing you do your work all of a sudden everyone's at home kind of balancing and juggling everything that goes on with their regular life they're maximizing that right. experience of working from home as best as possible and using all these digital tools that we've kind of taken for granted, whether it's the zoom that we're doing now or whether it's the email or whether it's, um, you know, digital. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it, it, it to, be, to, to be clear, it is, it is, it is zoom running on, on Huawei. We link global conferencing infrastructure. That's what we're doing now. Right. I'm sorry. Right. Just, right. just, right. So it's like this <laughs> but, whole yeah, but, but you're right. You're right. We're, we're using all these tools that we've kind of said, okay, we'll use them here and there on the side. We'll take, you know, when we need to, we do a remote call. We'll do a remote call every so often. And then, you know, the other day I was watching Adobe, um, their Adobe conference with a month of lead time. They literally turned their entire conference from a real conference, in-person conference, to a digital, uh, you know, video on demand uh, conference where basically anyone, and they, they literally opened it up right. to anyone for free and they allowed anyone yeah. to tap into it. It's unbelievable. Uh, and they were also talking yeah. about digital transformation also from signatures to experience of the customers to AI and all the things that everyone knows about. Right. And that's, to me, it's like we're taking things that we usually took advantage, it kind of took for granted because we just said, okay, we'll use it if we need to. All of a sudden we're forced, like you said, and for whatever reason, we're forced to do it. And now this is going to become the kind of the new reality. And for, from a government perspective, what's called from a larger macro perspective, which is where your real focus is, is to all of a sudden say is okay, but now that we've learned that we can do this because we were forced to do it, or we because we had no other choice. Now, how are we going to take that step back? And what is the? I guess my question is really, what is the on the macro level? What are the governments, the education, those departments which really are your wheelhouse? What are they saying? Is or and obviously it's very dynamic because people are just still learning to do it. But what are their? Uh -huh. what, what are those? What are those key factors you're saying? Is okay now that we can do it. Let's how do we shift it? What, what are the, like, it's called less about the idea, but more about like the practical things. Well, the practical things now is that, um, you know, you, you probably end up in a scenario or in a situation where perhaps your current network just doesn't cut it. Uh, you, 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 you've prepared over the years. Well, let, let's talk about Huawei in this particular case. We have been, we've been part of implementing a global mobile broadband secure converged infrastructure that, that allows folks to do what we're doing right now. Um, and, 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 and we could be bankers and we could, we could, we could do a banking business like this. Uh, you, you could be my accountant and I could be in an accounting need. And so I would be your customer in this particular scenario. Uh, 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 you could be my physician and I could be your patient, for example. Uh, you know, all these things are running on a global infrastructure right now. 
um, location agnostic, device independent, and what have you, right? And, um, and, and we've been part of that in building it up. Uh, three quarters of the global networks in the world are carrying systems and services that are provisioned by Huawei from, from an equipment and from a technology point of view. And, and, and we see that networks percentage? are running. What was the percentage? I think it's a three, a three quarter, I think. Three, three quarter. Well, okay. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a 65, 70, maybe 75% of the world global networks. But between two thirds and three fourths, that's, that's where we are as far as, as far as I understand. But it's, it's not about the position that we have that, that I was trying to get across and the, and the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is that what we come to realize as part of this industry, as a, as a dominant player in this industry, together with all the other players in the industry, is that these global infrastructures have some sort of limitations here and there. They were designed to put these systems and services in place, but not for each and all and everyone right now um, and at once. Uh, so one of the things that we're doing uh, on a global scale is to make sure that we are uh, supporting on a 24-7 basis uh, all of our customers on all of our partners uh, to ensure that all these networks are up and running and, and keep up and running and are, are maximized and utilized in the maximum way uh, possible and that all these connections are optimized. Uh, that's one effort that we're putting into, um, in, into it. And we can see that that's working actually pretty well uh, for hospitals, uh, but also for, for, for college, uh, uh, universities, uh, primary schools, middle schools, high schools, what have you. Um, but also other kinds of customers and other kinds of partners that are, are, are trying to leverage that. For us internally, it also uh, shows us something. Of course, we as a global company, we got 190, I don't know, how many thousand people worldwide in offices all over the world. And we're, we're also telling those folks and we're also enforcing those folks and allowing those folks, you know, to work from home. Uh, but working for home is, you know, is, is very fastly said, you know, go home and yay, we're home. Okay. Now log on. Uh, okay. Kitchen Wi-Fi. What about the kids, you know, and gaming and all that? Uh, Cause you know, they're home too. And they don't want to be interrupted, just like you and your in your family environment don't want to be interrupted if you want to do your work. Uh, so that's a bit where we are, and that's a, that's a, that's a bit how we look at things. Uh, uh, keeping these global mobile broadband secure converged infrastructures up and running for our partners and our customers. And on top of that, we're also trying to step to the plate and bring uh, systems and services and donate uh, different kinds of uh, you know equipments and services that 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 maybe are highly needed but weren't in place yet. Uh, for example, there are many examples where uh, locations and venues that are not hospitals but that are being turned into hospitals or emergency shelters and what have you uh, need to be provisioned with technology as well and, and, and imagine that from, from an integration point of view. So here comes a location that is turned into another kind of location and needs connectivity too, optimized and secured and converged uh, and available. So that, that's a bit where we, um, where we come from now and where we are um, putting our teeth in most. We see most of the appreciation also coming from that, uh, from that support and that angle uh, and most of our that, efforts. That, I would imagine that that kind of, that kind of provisioning for you know, situations like this, which is an emergency situation as opposed to what's called the standard location, yes. a place that already has the infrastructure, that's probably a very right. big a big component of what's going on right now uh, with Huawei and with yes. what's, what's going on, especially in light of yeah, what's very true. Yeah, very what, true. What the, same um, with the uh, yeah. same same with the idea that we had. Um, uh, so a couple of years ago, we had the idea that in the in the in the idea of digital transformation, create a digital twin, right? 
a digital twin of a physical economy, a digital twin of physical operations in a city, or a digital twin of hospital operations. And, and over the years, we've been, we've been playing a bit with the idea. We've been able to put systems and services in place. But, but right now, it has become a practice. We are able, from a cloud services provisioning, uh, to create a digital twin of hospital services, for example. And we're able to put that in place to offload uh, people who are standing in line and in queue and are queuing physically in a hospital. Uh, your first request and your first scenarios and your first diagnosis, you could do online first. You can register already, you know, stuff like that. But replicating that and applying that digital twin of a hospital with all systems and services inside to utilize that for a location that's maybe a gym, but the gym is converted into, you know, a shelter or, or an emergency hospital environment needs to make use of those services as well. The, the, the PC workplaces of specialists and doctors and nurses at those locations need to have access to and work with the latest and greatest of what hospital information systems, uh, PC workplace applications, uh, you know, medical tooling and what have you needs to be in place, are also examples of what, how we see things accelerate a little. That's, I love the idea of this digital twin thing because that's really, and like you said, it's, you know, for over, I'm sure over the course of years, that was a concept of saying is we should be setting this up. But all of a sudden, mm. it's, you know, from you're moving from concept and maybe you know R and D and playing around with it just to make sure that it works to all of a sudden is whatever we've got, we just got to launch and execute and start working and we'll kind of run it, or we'll play with it on the fly almost, right. uh, fix it on the fly. This to me, digital twinning is probably one of the things, the value services that all the enterprises of whatever size or whatever need they need, whatever need uh, comes up and emerges at, at, over time is probably the most valuable, one of the most valuable provisions that Huawei is providing at this point. Yes, on, on top of what's already been Obviously announced. Obviously on top of everything uh, else think, that's I going on. Yeah, yeah, but, but also what's been announced, you know, I think a few, I think a year and a half, maybe two years ago, there was a nice interesting news that said we were providing a 5G, over 5G uh, connection to a specialist on one side of the country who was doing, a, I think, an eye surgery. Uh, w with very, you know, minuscule tooling uh, to a person who had an eye problem in a hospital on the other side of the country. Uh, you see these kind of utilizations now being put in practice. S same with AI, AI uh, uh, diagnostics. Uh, it, it's, it's, it, it's been announced and it's also available out there, not just from us, but from many others. But you see the, you see the speed of progress and the speed of process in, uh, in utilizing and applying artificial intelligence in, in, in a faster mode now than the thought process that was before. Uh, it's, it's now being thought of, applied, and if it comes a very good business practice or a very good practice to go forward with, it, it becomes a procedure. Yeah, that's, uh, to me, that sounds like something that, that, that is exactly where I, I, I'm noticing more and more that people are gonna, note, uh, are gonna say, well, we've been able to work from home, we've been able to provide solutions to people, customers, whether it's patients at hospitals, students in universities, uh, students or kids who are, need to go to school, whatever it is, they can now work from home. Maybe it's scaled back a little bit or not the normal, what you know, we don't have to go in every morning at eight o'clock or whatever the case may be. And very true, all, all of a sudden, you know, the world is changing so much faster, and people are going to come back after this, which is going to say, you know, three months, four months, whatever time amount of time it is, they're going to be like, well, why right. do we, we, this is what the new reality, why can't we just stay here as opposed to yeah. going back to what was? Yeah, that's very true. And if, if you look at job roles, yep. imagine a sales manager or an account manager, right? Or a sales executive. So if this is a solution that sits in your hand, 
you're probably the, the, probably the daily process of an account manager or a sales executive would be you would call your customer or a lead or a prospect. Right. You would try to make an appointment, you would meet, and you would try to sell a, a, a clinical collaboration tool or a video conferencing tool for telemedicine or what have you, right? But, but, or for education, you would try to perhaps talk to the dean of a university and you would try to see if you can deploy you know, a, a live virtual classroom or remote classroom uh, uh, scenarios where now, I think, especially if you look at the sales force that we work with and that I work with, so the sales executives in my team who do education, they, as an account manager, they manage their account tremendously different than from before, right? What they do now, for example, is they reach out still to the university or college or, or high school that they worked with in the past. But it's not so much about, you know, getting the sales done or managing the account to, you know, to, to, to get a revenue stream going, right? The idea now is, uh, Mr. Customer, why don't you and I work on next week's class schedule? What teacher gives what class on Monday morning and on Monday afternoon and on Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon and on Wednesday and so on and so forth for the whole week? And if you've got 10 teachers and each of them got like 20 or 25 kids in class, give me those schedules. And as your account manager, this is what I'll do. I will go into our internal platform. I will structure this and I will register this and I will agendize this and I will schedule this. So all your teachers and all your students and all your pupils will receive an invitation on the device that they're using in their convenience and to, to, to and wherever they are. So, so the job role of an account manager now becomes a facilitator of organizing online classes, you know, to, to, to help deal with this uh, nasty situation where the whole world is in now, which is a pandemic. And surely this is another way of, of retention, right? In, in sales principles and in sales management, there is a, there's an element of acquisition. This is where you acquire new customers. That means hunting, but there's also an element of retention. And I think one of the sales management classes that I was part of in the past uh, used to say it, it takes about five or six times more effort to acquire a new customer than it takes you as an account manager to retain your customer, so to keep your existing customer. So it's changing, a, it's changing the business model as well. Yeah, I, I mean, that idea of changing the sales exec's role to from, you know, like you said, it's not the sale anymore. We don't have to worry about the sale. The sale is already kind of in process. It's more now it's facilitating. Yeah, or, or, or the sale is not ethical now. Right. right? You, you, you're supposed to help people. You know, you're right. It's, it's, really, it's right. It's not even, you don't have to sell anymore. It's not even the sale. Now it's like, we don't expect you to sell me anymore. I've been sold. I don't have a choice anymore. I've right. got the product. I'm on board. Now tell me, is what, how do I get this done quickly so that we, like you said, the next week. For example, product? yeah. yeah. Or, or, or I don't have the product but I, I'm in a desperate need of using it. So, so manage me. Right. Um, and that's gonna, that is, that is a, a very unique situation for sales exec, but also for the, the, I guess the end user, the customer is also saying is we don't have, that's going to be a, a very much a, let's call it, a, I don't want to say disruptor, but a very much a change in the way that everything goes on from moving forward because of the way, they now expect the sales exec to not be sales, but rather also to be the person, like you said, facilitator. He's also going to be the, the, the last, right. you know, the last person. He's not going to worry about all the details and things. The sales, he's going to talk to the sales rep as opposed to usually what would happen. The sales rep would say, okay, thanks for, you know, here's the purchase order. I'm now going to take you mm. on to the, you know, the handoff team. And now that's mm. not going to happen anymore. 
Well, instead of talking about a problem or selling a problem, right, and providing a solution and then delivering a box, which is which is a straightforward sales process, you can see that 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 there is also a change the other way around. You know, I think in the world of hacking, you you got the ethical hacker. Right. I think I think maybe now we got a new kind of role on on the sales side, maybe we you know which is the ethical the, the ethical sales, right? That, that or the or the ethical seller, that kind of thing. But but the idea is to manage your account, and that changes your business process, changes your MBOs, your your your, your KPIs, and your main business objectives. Uh, the way people are being instructed, directed, managed, uh, monitored, perhaps even, or measured on a weekly basis. You know, you got you got to hit your target. What's your target now? Your target is how many schools we are able to help, instead of how many how, in how, in how many schools we are able to sell into. And from a government perspective, well, one second here. Sure. First things first. You know, it's family calling. Family call came off. Um, so <laughs> yeah. from a government, from a let's call it from the, we know we're not calling it smart government, but from let's call it from like an e-government perspective. We could talk about education. We talked about the hospitals, but from an e-government perspective, how does the what we just mentioned apply to the more of the government, the large, even the larger scale? Because you can even walk, you can look at it. What we just all what we just spoke about is very easy to say. Okay, we can work with one person from a hospital, one or a team of people from a hospital, or a team of people from an educational facility or educational institution. But now mm -hmm. we're talking about government, which is much larger than that because it's a, a series of different people, different offices, different. You know, places what is what does that look like from a from a from a digital platform from a digital point of view or from a digital transformation yeah well uh, let's talk about platform then first uh, digital transformation usually is carried by, by by principles and and a digital platform would be such a principle i don't mean technically speaking right i don't mean this i don't mean the switch the server the data center racks and whatever i mean platform as a principle a digital platform that has capabilities of linking different programs and initiatives uh, to help move uh, ministerial departments or even governments uh, higher up the value chain or be more efficient in their daily operations. And so here's the thing. Suppose I am, uh, maybe I'm supposed to report myself in every morning in a certain way. Maybe I need to call someone and that person needs to pick up the phone, needs to listen to me, where I am now, do I still got a fever? No. Dry cough? No. Uh, temperature, no. Uh, shortness of breath, no. Right? A daily health report. That, that could be very well digitalized. You can dial into a system, so to speak, or you can create web uh, or mobile applications for that, portals that, that allow it for you. Uh, another example would be where governments perhaps now are being confronted with uh, making sure that, number one, the virus doesn't get in. So you take your countermeasures at, at airports and, 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 and public transportation areas and what have you. And, and, and on the inner side, you're looking at scenarios where you try to prevent a virus from spreading. So there's a lot of measurements in place, you know, temperature checks and what have you. Suppose, suppose at one of these temperature checks or checkpoints, someone comes up with a higher temperature than, than is expected. So that person needs to be taken, taken aside. We need to have a conversation with that person. And maybe there needs to be a test. Um, and maybe the outcome of that test, unfortunately, is then positive. So here comes the second step. Where do you come from? Who have you been in contact with? Uh, 
and and the easy way is it's very easy to understand the ones you know right i come from home so that's my family members i t i took the car with my brother who dropped me off at, at 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 a train station but then it becomes a bit ambiguous uh what train station and where did you enter uh, at what counter did you stand in line for your ticket and so on and so forth so the persons and the people around you that don't even know you and you don't even know them those people are of the utmost importance to reach so usually there comes an investigation which is all manual process after the conversation with you as the person who's been found positive of this test there's people calling other people asking questions and talking and taking notes to map out a certain social uh, structure so to speak if we think about digital in this particular case if we could apply all these thought processes and all these manual principles into a platform that you can call an ip-based contact center which is the exact contact center that called you yesterday if you would like a subscription to a mobile phone operator while you were having dinner or if you want to renew your energy contract or if you want to migrate from your current energy provider to the other one right this is a system calling you in the evening or what have you or it's the system that you that you talk into when you want to call your bank press one for the VIP customer uh, you know what's your bank account number uh, put the number in and end with a hash that kind of thing this platform can be programmed in such a way and can be foreseen with AI capabilities like neuro language programming principles uh, speech recognition and that kind of thing and in a very almost in a very natural manner there's a voice that reaches your phone and when you answer in a very natural manner, it has a conversation with you saying, we understand that you might be or might have been, or is it correct that you, or we got your number from, and this is what we like to ask you. This Q&A takes away the burden on, on, on humans and thus lowering the human error and speed up the process in mapping out you know, a, a social map of where people have been and people that need to be informed, uh, maybe communities that need to be informed, that kind of thing. To put this in place, it requires policies and regulations and maybe even legislation. If that whole side of the equation is, is still a paper process, it just drags and drags and drags. In e-government, there is a, just like in regular governments, there is governance, which is the way governments work. Governance is the way government works. In e-government, there is also a principle called e-governance. So. If there's a platform that gets it, that understands it, that can see these different programs and initiatives and can tie them together and bring them together and advise the lawmakers and the regulators and the policymakers on what kind of policy would best fit, then the expediting of that and the execution of that would probably also be in a slightly shorter time frame and therefore be more efficient as well in the daily operations of city management when it comes to regulation and when it comes to applying all these kinds of laws and regulations and policies, that, that would be examples where uh, digital, where transformation and transformational principles uh, can, and in some cases actually already apply. Uh, Ministry of Health would be another example. I mentioned earlier AI. There are scenarios very well thinkable where a CT scan of a lung, which I think takes about three minutes, so that's very fast, and the images of that CT scanner of, of, of these lungs can be uh, diagnosed by an, uh, by an artificial intelligence principle that helps the medical specialist uh, dealing with this 
from manual to digital because this machine can do it faster. This machine can do it, uh, 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 what is it, uh, at, at a higher quantity, uh, but also at a slightly higher quality, specifically at the end of the day, if this is a 12 hour shift for a medical specialist. Um, I'm sure at the end of the day, his sense of judgment goes down a little bit. An AI principle for AI diagnostics for this kind of thing can put in place. In order to do that, it's not just a specialist that says, get me a machine that can help me do it, or get me an application that can help me look into my medical imaging databases and do that for me. Um, but it also requires regulators, legislation, policymakers, and maybe even the Ministry of Health to come together and work together and maybe create a very secure private cloud-based environment where all these different hospitals and all these different medical specialists and all these different medical imaging systems can make use of. I think that that's another example or another angle where, where the, the, the transformational part of, of, um, of, of this whole scenario comes in. That is, I mean, I'm fascinated by the fact that it's so, you know, I think people today are not, maybe not, maybe now they'll realize it more how much backend technology is necessary and how much, I guess it, we'll call it, it, whether it's the setup, whether it's the, uh, the execution for the components, both on a, let's call it an institutional level uh, as, a as a hospital, educational institution, whatever it is, but also more, even more on the government side. Gover everyone complains governments are very bureaucratic and whatever it is, but in order to right. make something like this so you know, smooth and simple and seamless for the actual end user, the citizen, they need to understand there's so much more that's involved and the government has to take into consideration so many different factors, whether it's like you said, connecting various hospitals, whether it means understanding the various scenarios and setting them up in it originally so that way when it's the end user sees it on their app or, or computer or whatever it is, they actually see something that's valuable and simple to use as opposed to just, you know, I, I need to pay my, my parking oh, totally. bill. It's just... You know, if they're paying a parking bill on a on a on a website which is very clunky or not easy, not user friendly, they didn't consider the government then looks bad. But in, to do it correctly on a, such a large scale, whether it's signing forms, paying bills, whatever, doing it correctly means that the government yeah. has thought about it. And to me, that's it's very it's it's very true. Yeah, s s same with uh, things like you know things like face recognition. Right. Um, to to automate and zero touch the process of people going into areas, so to speak. Today, because of the current pandemic, uh, physically your temperature has to be taken, a note has to be taken on a piece of paper. It has to be checked whether you are a resident of a certain area or not. Uh, in China, for example, but also in other areas of the world, um, if you're not a resident of a certain area, then you're just not allowed to go in. So you, 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 you can be visiting your buddies, so to speak. Uh, so how do, how do you check that? That's a high risk of um, uh, spreading infections because it's it's the idea I think is to of social distancing should be physical distancing, one and a half meter apart. How do you check someone's temperature on a one and a half meter apart? How do you make sure that information gets across? You know, one and a half meter apart. So all, all these automation that goes along with this, if there is a if there is a, a, a camera that can do body temperature check or sensors that can do it. And it has a face recognition part that says, okay, you're part of this community, so gate opens. Uh, if your fever is too high or if you're, if you're a bit feverish, then the first gate opens, but the second gate does not because someone needs to take you to a, a separate place first for an extra check, that kind of thing. Um, but also at toll gates. Uh, in China, for example, there are, uh, uh, well, there was the heart of the epidemic, right? In Wuhan. Uh, but some cars, cargo, supplies had to go through. 
um, how do you check that? How do you control a car that comes from an infected area that needs to go and stand in line with others that are, even though the country is in lockdown or the area is in lockdown, there, there's still traffic going back and forth, manually checking. Do you have the right certificate to go through right now? If this is an online process, then all the cargo and all the transporters can go to an, a, a, a digital platform, a, a web service, so to speak. You can register that on Tuesday, this convoy is coming in with medical supplies for Hospital X or Hospital Y or Hospital Z. And after all the digital approvals are taking place, you, you, you receive on your digital device, could be a phone or a tablet or anything in the, in, 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 in the, in the driver's cabin of a truck, for example, a, a proof point. That you, can, that, you can, that you can swipe almost like a boarding pass at the gate, right? Uh, you, you, you swipe the QR code or the barcode of your boarding pass and then the gate opens uh, or, and then you can pass through at the airport for check-in. Uh, but, but the same goes for here for toll gates. So to, to reduce the burden, to be more efficient in daily operations, that kind of scenario. And another scenario that actually comes into mind is, as I'm talking about it right now is there is, from a government point of view, an appeal to... Uh, uh, nurses who have retired or who changed their career five or six or 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, same for medical specialists and what have you. The, the appeal is if you're available and if you're, if you're able, then come over, we register you and you'll be assigned as, as, you know, as, a new, as a new CT scanner or a ventilator operator or as a nurse, you know, all hands on deck, right? But maybe in the past 10, 15 years, uh, 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 daily operations and the systems and services that you need to work with from an hospital information point of view has changed a little. So how, how do I train you? How do I certify you? How do I get you up to speed? So from a knowledge handoff, the Ministry of Education, the Ministry of Healthcare in this particular case can, can come up with a nationwide guideline and maybe even a principle that allows those people in a similar way that you and I are now having this talk to understand how it currently works in the hospital that you left 20 years ago and that you're going to re-enter now because you're, you, you know, your help is needed as, as, as there is a, a terrible situation at hand. Are other examples where from a government point of view, so top-down, um, provisioning goes faster um, and more intuitive? That, I mean, that, those examples are exactly the kind of things that people today are trying to figure out. And had they thought about it like we began our conversation had they thought about this a couple of years earlier saying what if in a scenario where we need to be able to in emergency situations if we were able to understand how to make sure that people who need to get in and can get in and those who can't or for whatever reason are unable to or limited if they would have done it correctly then we wouldn't be forced against the wall where they're now trying to create things to me those examples are exactly what people are now saying is okay now for the next you know in a month from now when things kind of settle down or two months from now when things settle down we now have to say is this is how we have to create our new standard has to be this way because mm. it's just not viable to do it the other way because it's going to take us another 10 15 who knows how many years to get back to we don't want that other what if situation to happen again where we're stuck right. doing a lot of manual labor which could have been done digitally faster more responsive in a way that was simpler and make and, and think run things much smoother uh, to me, that's very, very true. Very true. Same goes for other things like, you know, there is a principle for a long time already. I think it's called gene or DNA sequencing, right? The, 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 the computing power combined with artificial intelligence can do this DNA sequencing and gene sequencing faster, more accurate, 
can, can, can output reports uh, for medical specialists to faster deal with the output of, of a system after having done research rather than first having to research themselves. Same with drug testing. The amount of drugs that are coming out right now where uh, the, the, the provider of those drugs is, is making claims like, you know, this is the next big thing when it comes to fighting the pandemic. So my drug is better than the other one for this and this reason. So that has to be test. So drug testing can be done via computing power and, a, and AI enablement. Uh, other examples where a Ministry of Health, uh, the Food and Drug Auth uh, uh, Association or, or, or department uh, can, you know, the FDA and all that and the CDC combined and the National Health Services together can make use of without them having to travel or having to do this manually first. Uh, and my example earlier that I gave from the AI diagnosis uh, uh, for, for, for lung scans out of a CT scanner, for example. You know, a, a medical specialist, if he needs to, do his, needs to do this, it's about 10 to 12 minutes. To, 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 so, so not taking the pictures, but diagnosing them, mapping them and trying to find out where are the differences and the similarities. And then he needs to output a report or, or a medical certificate. It takes about three to four minutes as well. All in all, I think 10, 15 minutes for each and every patient that comes by. If you automate this process, so if you could do that by letting AI check and show the differences between picture number one, picture number two, and picture number three, and output a report because of that, then the only thing the medical specialist then needs to do is check whether these are accurate or not. So it, it helps the medical specialist in two ways. Today, it, so manually speaking, it, it, it takes him 15 minutes to do this himself. Now, he can use the 15 minutes to make his diagnosis a bit more accurate. Or he can, be, he can still be faster. He can do his diagnosis in 10 minutes, which is five minutes faster than the 15 minutes. But still, his diagnosis would be more accurate because it, he, he, he can zoom right into the details and right into the heart of the matter rather than starting from scratch or from the start. The system guides him in a certain way and needs to be checked, needs to be controlled, needs to be secured, of course. But it, it, it creates a huge amount of time that increases not so much the quantity, but the quality of things. And I think that's very uh, imperative right now. So that, I mean, I'm fascinated by this ability to, obviously Huawei is in the heart of this solution, not only for the local Chinese government, but also around the world, providing customers with these solutions at such a, a quick, uh, and using right. all their all their tools to really help uh, you know make uh, create efficiencies that they might not have otherwise thought about, but now they're they're using them because the, either because they need to, or because mm. now they have no choice because people are just not allowed to get out of their house, and that really shows where government can now you know the e-government kind of idea where you're taking the tools that Huawei offers Huawei offers solutions to customers enterprises whatever it is, but now looking at it from a governmental perspective and saying is governments you've created the lockdown, so you're now limiting resource, your citizens' resources. Now, we, now you have to come up with solutions to those problems of how do they, whether it's go to the store, park, pay their bills, park, you know, pay, you know, go to the hospital, whatever it is, how do we create those solutions so that yeah. we, they can, you know, digital solutions so that they can do their, their regular day-to-day -day kind of activities without having to, you know, or let's put it more positively, work within the limitations that you've created. And so now they're they're now at a yeah on unintentionally, but it, yeah. you know every every decision t taken under stress comes with a certain amount of limitation. Yes, correct. 
I'm, I'm, first of all, I, I didn't understand. I mean, I understand what Huawei does a long, many years ago already, but I'm, you know, at this situation, this is a really good point to really understand how deeply embedded they are in terms of making so many digital solutions and transforming people, businesses in so, such a critical way. Mm. Is there, is there anything else that, you know, whether it's Huawei or general as, as a digital transformation, you know, looking ahead besides just creating efficiencies, which is obviously the most important reason why digital transformation really happens. Is there anything mm. else that now, you know, assuming that, you know, COVID-19 wasn't occurring, what else was go, what else was Huawei looking forward towards in terms of digital transformation on the, let's call it more macro scale? Um, so outside the pandemic, I was going to say beyond, but it's not what I mean. So, God forbid, let's, let's just imagine that this is over as fast as it can, right? Um, but let's also imagine that this wasn't at place, right? This wasn't even there. We would, we would still have all these solutions in place. We would still have our conversations and our support to our customers. Uh, and the customers themselves would also be embarked on this. Um, we did the online uh, and digital version of anything and everything that we wanted to put on show at the Mobile World Congress earlier this year that got canceled because of the pandemic. Um, but what we were showing there then are actually exactly the things that I'm talking about right now. And the things that I'm talking about right now also then, so imagine no pandemic, there's no epidemic outbreak, there's no COVID, nothing. There's a Mobile World Congress and we're announcing this with partnerships, with customers coming over from all over the world. It is sharing knowledge, not of something that is available two quarters after. This is not beta. This is not a solution that is in the mind. And you can see mock-ups or you can see ideas being brought to life. What we're showing you is something that's already up and running and that's already in use and that we're now scaling up and that we're now expanding and that we're now, um, what is it, fanning out more or less. And mind you, we're not selling this. We might sell the idea perhaps, or it, it might come across as a sales pitch to you or, or people viewing this and listening to this. That's not what I'm trying to do. And also not, also not what I'm trying to say. We are providing this to our customers via our partners and with our partners to help deal with a situation that is at hand right now. There is a problem and we got some solutions for it. So let's deliver a few boxes that will help you do that. And in return, let's hope it helps flatten the curve that everybody talks about, because that's what this is about. Because unfortunately, even though we can imagine that there is no pandemic, unfortunately there is. Um, what were governments thinking of? More and more digitalized services, but unfortunately still much in a siloed approach. So the Department of Defense does it like that. The Ministry of Health goes forward like that. The uh, Ministry of Education does like that got their own budgets, got their own thing, got their own funding and financing, find their own partners, they do their own public tenders and RFPs, and they select their own technology. So things still go forward in a, in a project kind of approach, unfortunately, which makes it uh, move in a stop and go motion, right? End of the budget, end of the project, or end of the project, it's, it's, it's the end of the scenario. Um, I've been advocating for a long time, and you, you, you've you been talking about this for a while already, that, you know, technically it's horizontal. From a solution scenario, it's also horizontal, and it bridges these different silos. So instead of doing a project, 
by, by finding a platform that then can create it forward is also a stop and go motion. It's not what we think about. Why don't we find something that can lay over or that can overlay these different silos and that can pull up what works very well, that can, that can move forward and accelerate and digitalize what already works very well. And then let's do a gap analysis to see whether what's left behind of the silos and the technology within there that we can reuse or reshape or that needs to, or it needs to be localized or it needs to be, that needs to be customized to fit the new new. Then that also shortens the time to put things in place faster. It's all about linking programs and initiatives and it's all about a journey, not so much the customer journey, but the digital journey. And we're not passing stages, right? We're not, we're not on a train ride that goes from one station to another station. Uh, it's, not, it's not like a roadmap, so to speak. It has features and functions that are coming and we need to get there. So that's what we need to achieve. Uh, it is a journey and, 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 and there is a travel guide and that's the direction. And, and we work together in a mutual understanding with stakeholders and partners and public-private initiatives. That's what governments already were working on and many governments have digital agendas in place for that, but still rather from, uh, from a silo perspective. So the, 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 the the, the transformational change that you see is also that these silos are not so much being broken down, um, but being bridged and leveraged. Uh, and, and, and we're a digital partner for that, actually. And in industries, you more or less see the same. I, I often use the scenario where uh, maybe in your street, at least in my street where I live, sometimes that happens. I wake up in the morning, I want to go out and there's a roadblock in my street because I kind of missed the paper of the government that says, or my local government that says, we're going we're gonna to open up the street for you because the electricity company is going to do something with, I don't know, electric chargers for cars in the street. And then, you know, six months later, it's all done. And then nine months later, there's another license given to another company because we want to add some CCTV cameras because community areas need something. Or there is motion detection uh, because if there's motion in the street, the light is on. If there's no motion in the street, the light is off. So in one year, 12 months or 18 months time frame, the road has been, you know, disrupted, broken up three or four times where now you see more and more industries work together and team up where the electricity company together with the CCTV camera provider jointly make use of the fact that the road is open, is broken up, that the light bulb has changed for an LED luminar and that the separate sensor from motion detection is being replaced or not even being replaced, but is being applied by a camera that has a motion detection sensor inside. So two industries working together in one go. And the same goes for smart parking sensors and that kind of thing. So multiple industry and industry collaboration, ecosystem uh, expansion, so to speak, and establishment is what you see in the industry more and more from a digital point of view. So regardless of whether there's a pandemic or not, that was and that is already the path that they were on and that they are on. Uh, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, you see that decisions cannot be taken over budgets anymore, right? We got to do it or let's do it. I think that seems to be the really the overall approach that many businesses, governments, institutions are saying is we have to do it. It's not a choice of whether budget or not. Now we have no choice. We're doing it. And the change is going to be much faster, both from a sales perspective, like we talked about earlier, but also just in terms of moving things, you know, more, make them more fluid as opposed to, like you said, stop and go, or, oh, well, let's have to test in terms of, uh, in terms of funding or whatever. They're going to now continue in terms of this 
well, we'll call it the new normal. Uh, there, no, there, this is the new reality. And now because of this new reality, we've created a lot more efficiencies, processes, provisions for technology and for our citizens and also for our right. customers, whether it's the student, the institution, whatever it may be. And now right. this is the new, this is going to become the new normal. Now people are going to realize how much, uh, how critical it is. How transportation is obviously important, but not only is it important, but now this is where we have to strive to get to even higher levels of digital transformation as opposed right. to, you know, kind of embracing it in some halfway uh, other way that was before. Right. Very true. One of the things that I think makes sense now, you and I have also talked about this before, and you've been in our influencer program for a while. You, you, you know, one of our, our key traits is, you know, customers and customer first, that kind of thing. Um, and we talked about it before in terms of, you know, what, what makes you tick, you know, what makes you move in this company and what, why this company and not, and not someone else. And I, I, I used to say, and I still say, it's because the impact that we're able to, to, to make in people's lives, improving the livelihood of people, right? That kind of thing. I think now more than ever is the time for the industry as a whole and not just the telecom industry, not just the IT sector, the, in, all the companies as a whole the, 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 and, and, and each and everyone combined to realize that you're part of society. In principle, you're not in it for the money, right? What is the what, what, what is the what is the goal and an objective of an enterprise? It's it's to be profitable, or or right that kind of thing. It's 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 coming out of textbooks, you know, from economics, business economics, and and and, and executive managements. Uh, but that is not what it is, and that has never been what it is about. What it is about is to improve livelihood of people, to add to society. Huawei says bringing digital to every home person and organization, and right now we see that there is no digital to all people, to all homes and all organizations. Two thirds of the world is just still not connected. And that's an ambition that Huawei has. Uh, I think in 2025, we wanna add uh, 500 million extra digital connections. I think our ambition is not high enough. We should make that a billion. Now is the time to bring digital to every home person and organization because it is highly required as part of society not because it's profitable. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I've loved, I, I love the idea of digital to all and customer first because I've seen it and I, we've talked about it. And I've been at the, at the events and I, I just embrace that. You know, I, I think people, and this is like, we've discussed this many times repeating this, but digital to all now means something completely new. And it, your insights have given really good examples of how digital to all really means that every person needs to be able to access, whether it's the, you know, the child who's sitting at home now needs to access their classroom, the hospital who needs to access right. AI and also new, you know, like you said, digital twinning and some new environment because of the reality, or it's the government who has to say, we need to create processes right. for our citizens. They're all of a sudden, every one of these is now saying is it's not about how do we piecemeal the digital, but rather we need to give digital the, the number one priority of everything we do because of the way that we've seen the reality that we're seeing on the ground. And we need to find our current team of people who are offering those services, in this case, Huawei, and saying is we need to ramp up and we need to do it quickly. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm more impressed now just because of the, and not because only because I'm an influencer, uh, influencer with Huawei, but also just because of, I'm a citizen who need, I knows that you need more digital access, faster internet speeds, 
ability to be, communicate with people, whether it's locally within the country or around the world. And all of a sudden, we need these services much faster, much in a much more seamless way. And you know, underneath that, all the entire infrastructure is you know a company like Huawei or that's doing it and providing it in such a great way. And I'm you know I'm I'm impressed. So I, I want to thank well, you. Well, thank you. I, I think first of all, I want to thank you too. Thank you very much for explaining yeah. it in such a way that people understand it's not just this macro concept that everyone talks about, but rather something that's very important and especially in today's day, day and age. So thank you very much, Ed. Thanks for having me, Mordecai. Uh, and it's always a pleasure to, uh, to have a thank conversation you. with you. Be sure to sign up for the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. And remember, the next time you're doing business in the digital economy, make sure to empathize it.